Hello, John Schuler. Hello, Brandon Gore. How's it going? Going great, man. Things are going well. Yeah, real well. Good. Good to hear. I went to Arkansas and Missouri last week. I talked about it on the previous podcast. And I took this guy, Nick, from Tin Works with me. It was a crazy yeah. trip. It was it was plane, trains, and automobiles, man. This trip was it was bananas because it was ne- it was one of the coldest days I've ever experienced in my life. But it was negative air temperatures, like negative eight the morning we left, and the windshield was like negative thirty five, negative forty, which for Wichita and Northwest Arkansas, that's incredibly cold. We don't normally see that type of cold weather. Uh, but we left and. Th- it was 0% chance of snow the day before, but then they, they raised it 35%. Okay, whatever, 35%, that's not bad. We drive, we leave super early in the morning, and uh, we drive, we get to Arkansas, get to Eureka Springs. I got to take some topographic data of my land and because I have a project I want to build there, and I got to get some topographic data, and I have this little tool called a Mosier. It, it's like a gyroscope thing that interacts with your iPhone, and it records data. It's pretty interesting, but anyways, get there. I park my truck. No snow. Roads are clear. No snow. Everything's open. I get out. It starts flurrying. Okay, whatever. I don't care. Literally within three minutes, it is like I'm in a snow globe that got shook violently, and it's just like snow like I have never seen before. It just comes down. It's like somebody opened a zipper, and just all the snow fell out of the cloud, and uh, it was crazy, and so I did this. I have to like walk back and forth through the woods like in you know, 10, 20-foot intervals and take points. And uh, so I'm doing that for about 20 minutes or so, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And in that ter- in that time frame, the roads went from totally dry, no snow, to like six inches of snow because it's so cold. The pavement was already frozen, so it didn't melt at all. So it hit, and you couldn't discern where the road was from where the grass was. I mean, it was just six inches of snow everywhere. And instantaneously, everything shut down. Like traffic stopped i don't know did people just pull off the road and park like where did everybody go it was just like instantaneous everything closed the restaurant across the street closed gas station closed so i say to nick hey let's uh let's go into town and get some get some barbecue so there's this massive hill you've been to eureka springs that big hill where you go down and then you go back up where thorn crown is so we start down the hill and i have a dodge ram 2500 so it's not a light truck it's a heavy truck we start down the hill and there's some dummy just stopped going downhill right and he stopped. What? Yeah. He stopped because some other dummy spun sideways and is blocking the highway. And they're not even attempting to move. They're just sitting there, you know, like, oh, don't know what to do. Just let me block the highway. So I'm not, I can't stop, number one. And I'm not stopping because if I stop, I can't back up. And you got no place to go. I already have inertia. So it is what it is. So I just creep around the guy that's blocking the road. And then I start going around the guy that's sideways and my truck just starts sliding. It, I mean, it just loses traction, and we're we're going to T-bone this dude, just sliding, sliding, sliding. Luckily, you know, I let off I let off the brakes, and uh, the wheels turned, and I caught traction at the last second, and I went around them. But we go down the hill, and then as we're going down, cars are coming up, and I'm like, oh, this is going to be a big, big, you know, mess because everybody's just going to get stuck with this guy that's sideways. So I tell him, well, we can't go back that way, so we got to go around the other way. So anyways, we go through town, everything's closed. Everything closed instantaneously. And then it took like wow. two hours to get around the lake, which normally would take 30 minutes the other way. It took two hours to go this way. But uh, it was a fun trip. It was a good trip. It was a good trip. So Right on. Well, now you just gave me a basic taste of why we lost that truckload of materials in Missouri. Yeah. Probably the same thing. Yeah. For, well, nobody does know because we haven't talked about it, but we had 
10 pallets or 12 pallets? How many was it? Uh, well, uh, 13. 13 pallets. All right. 13 pallets on yeah. a truck. The truck, two things we've heard. One is that it flipped. Another, that it jackknifed. Yeah. I don't know which it is. Right. Yeah. But um, we still don't know yet either until the materials get back. Yeah, still haven't got back yet. Hasn't got. I think the guy stopped the Ramada and he's having a party or something. <laughs> <laughs> and then the story was about going down a hill and you know ended up sideways and he just sat there. I like. I, I don't even understand that whole story you just told. Like, I, I get losing traction. I get. I mean, you know, I live in the hills. I get it. But you don't just get out of your car and be like, "Yep, hmm, look at that." <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Let me just block every other car that's coming up yeah. or down this road. Uh, you know, I mean, if you didn't like, you know, smash into the, I don't know, side of the hill. No, they or, didn't smash like, anything. Something. They just spun and they got stuck and then they just sat there. They sat there. Yeah. Come on now. Well, and if it's slick enough, man, grab, you know, get, grab a hold of a bumper. You know what I should have done? I, I should have videoed know. it too. I should have rolled in with him like, hey, bro, you can't park there. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and videoed it. Oh, lost opportunity. Gosh, but uh, so Nick, the guy that went went with me, I told about that in the last podcast. Like, you know, he's just like, "Hey, can I go with you?" I'm like, "Okay," you know, yeah. Sure. I mean, I've met him; he's a nice guy. Um, it was great. It was great because we were driving. I mean, it was you know like four and a half hours from Wichita to Arkansas, and then you know, obviously hours that day just getting back to town, and uh, and the next day we went to Springfield, Missouri, and then we went to back to Wichita. So all together, we probably drove twelve. 14 hours altogether. So a lot of great conversation, but I feel like I corrupted the guy. You ever, you ever, yeah. you ever be around somebody? Have you ever been around anybody where you think back and you're like, I think, I think I traumatized him in some ways. So, I mean, I'm not going to give you <laughs> all the stories I told this guy, but you know, we, we get into Rogers, Arkansas, everything's closed. There's nothing to eat. And, uh, the only place open, which I've experienced this before is Waffle House, which dude, I love Waffle House. So we're driving yeah. down. I see Waffle House open. I'm like, Hey bro, you ever been kicked out of a Waffle House? He's like, no. I'm like, I have three times that I can recall probably more, but three that, that are, are, are lucid. Want to make it a four? <laughs> and as a matter of fact, I've been kicked out of this one once before. You want to eat there? He's like, okay. Uh, but I just, yeah, yeah. Anyways, uh, um, it was a good time though, but you know, we're going to get into the value of time here in a minute. I think that's a good conversation. Something I want to talk about, but I want to, I want to tie this to what happened to me on that trip. Okay. So we go right. to Missouri. I have a project, a potential project in Missouri for a client. Now I've done work for this firm before, and this is for one of the guys personal house. It's an insane house, insane house. I would say, I don't know what the budget is, but I would guess just by looking at it between seven and 10 million. If I had to wow. guess it's glass and steel and concrete for the most part. And it's on two sides of a Canyon and there's a glass and steel walkways, a hundred and some feet that spans the Canyon and connects the two halves. So you walk through this glass tunnel to go no from way. one side to the other side. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Cool house. Yeah. Really cool house. And they want this huge rammed earth wall that screens the house and you have to drive through the wall. The wall is like 30 feet tall and more than a hundred feet long. Okay. So they've been asking me to give them price and uh, timeline for since July. That's when this conversation started was, Hey, we need price and timeline. Great. I just need a dimensional drawing of what you want. Don't provide it. Two weeks goes by. Hey, we need price and timeline. Hey, <laughs> yeah, I would love to do it. Sure. Just please send me dimensional drawing. Two weeks goes by. Hey, we need price and timeline. I feel like this groundhog day. Let's do this again. All I need is a dimensional drawing two weeks later. Hey, we need price and timeline. 
I don't know if these emails are getting through. All I need is a dimensional drawing. I mean, this goes on and on and on and on and on, right? And I'm, I'm not getting anywhere. I'm spinning my wheels. So anyways, one of the things I do <clears throat> with the Rambrose Project is what I call a, uh, it's a it's pro professional service agreement, but essentially it's where I do materials testing. It's where they send me the material they want to use. We RAM samples. We submit the samples to the laboratory for testing so we can get compressive data. And we also submit the samples to the client for color because, you know, you don't know what, it's like a box of chocolates. You know what you're going to get until you do it. Like, it, you know, so we need to test the material and see what the color's going to be. And architects are usually pretty particular about color. Pretty, yeah. pretty particular. Like, they, they want to know the color, the texture, you know, they want to know. So after weeks and weeks or months of me saying, guys, just please, please submit a dimensional drawing. It's the bare minimum of, you know, requirements to quote anything. I send them the PSA of, you know, here's this. And a PSA, it's $1,600 for me to do the samples. And anything beyond six hours, I bill at $325 an hour. Okay, $325. Now, this is my contract. Dude, I've been $325 an hour for years. If you call, if somebody calls me and wants me to consult, $325 an hour. Okay. That, that's my number. So anyways, so I got to go meet with this client in Springfield to just kind of get answers. What's going on? Because they're under construction. They send me weekly updates of the of the schedule. So I go up there and uh, I'm like, where's the wall going? And the guy's like, meh, this is the general contractor. Meh, somewhere right here. Where? Meh, right here. Here, like here to there, here, here to where? Where's the wall, right? Yeah. Just, uh, I'm, I'm blown away. I'm blown. I'm like, it's already blowing my mind. So he's like, Hey, can we talk? Yeah, yeah, we can talk. Can we sit in your truck? Yeah. Sit in my truck. So we sit down and, um, what, is he thinking being recorded? No, I just, I think, I think he's trying to like big league me in a way. He's trying to like, you know, I don't know. I don't know what this guy's deal is, but that is weird. I'm yeah, not, I'd be like, I'm not, hmm, I'm not, not incredibly impressed with, that, with his lack of professional professionalism to date, because if I ask for something very nicely and consistently and just say, guys, I would love to provide it. This is all I need. And you ignore it. Eh, I'm already like feeling a certain way right. about, about your professionalism. Absolutely. So yeah, no question. No question. So anyways, can we, can we, can we chat? Yeah. So we get in my truck and, um, he's like three twenty five an hour, huh? That's pretty expensive. I go, yeah. <laughs> Dude, I love one of my favorite things in the world to do is not say another word. Just go, yeah. And so he sits there. I mean, we sit there in silence for 20 seconds. I just stare at him. He goes, well, why 325? That just seems really high. I said, yeah, okay, it is. Why 325, you ask? Well, I've been in business. This is my 21st year in business. I've been doing this for a long time. I have a shop. I have employees. I have cost of goods sold. I have taxes. I have profit. I've done this long enough that I can add that up and get a yearly average and divide that by the number of hours I work. And if you want me to do something... It's three twenty-five an hour. That's my number. That's the number I need to not lose money. If you want an intern to do it, I, you know, I occasionally have interns working for me. He'll be eighty-five an hour. If you want me to have the intern do it, but if you want me to stop what I'm doing and not work on anything else but your project, then that's my number three twenty-five. Anything less, and I lose money, and I'm not going to lose money. So if you want me to do it, that's my number. And he goes, "Oh, okay, okay." So anyways, and then, then they, he's like, well, we're not going to do the material samples. I said, that's fine, bro. That's totally fine. You don't need to do the material samples. This wall, I mean, I'm not sure. I haven't quoted it yet, but I'm going to guess it's three to $400,000 for this wall. This wall, if you guys want to spend that kind of money and just be like, surprise, and see what the color is when it comes out, be my guest. 
if that's what you yeah. want to do. I wouldn't do it on a house like this, but if that's what you want to do, do it. The other thing is, I've already spoke with the structural engineer who did the rebar schedule on this, and uh, I spoke about this in the last podcast. I actually gave him what I do, and he ran, and it's like, dude, if that's, it's overkill, but if you want to do that, I'm happy to do it. So that's what he did. Anyways, but I talked to him, and he said, hey, what does this test at? And I said, well, it can test up to over 12,000 if we use our maker mix as the binder. We've tested it with that, and it tested over 12,000. PSI, but that's unnecessary. We don't need that. You know, this wall is 18 inches thick, 3000 PSI is sufficient. And I feel confident that we can get this, whatever the subsoil is in the area, we can get it to 3000 PSI, but we need to do testing. We need to test it and, and see what amendments we need to make to get it to that. So anyways, this guy's, you know, we're not going to do a testing. So that's fine. If you just want to see the color, you know, kind of like, you don't know what the sex of the baby is until it's born and surprise, it's right. a girl. Great. Yeah. Be my guest. All on you. Yeah. Yeah. The second part is, you know, the, the structural engineer made an assumption that it's 3000 PSI. Maybe it is, maybe it's 500 PSI. I don't know. We haven't tested it, but if you want to take that risk of we build this wall and it falls down because we didn't yeah, that's all. spend 1600 <laughs> bucks to test it again, I think you're stepping over dollars, pick up dimes. But if you guys want to save that $1,600 and, and just wing it, be my guest. Right? <laughs> yeah. So anyways, so that was my meeting with this guy. But, um, but the point of that, John, really was the time, the value of time. And I watch, we've talked about time so much. And it's one of these things, it's funny, I see people that, that have talked trash about what we say. Oh, my, my, my value is $20 an hour. Okay. Right. Okay. okay. But I watched a TikTok video that it was a really, really good way the guy put it. It was this guy that is an expatriate. I think he lives in Belize. But essentially, he was saying that him and his wife, when they're in their 40s, they ran the numbers. They crunched the numbers of what they would need to retire at 65, living here in the U.S. And if they scrimped and saved every penny, they didn't do anything. They never took a vacation. They didn't, you know, buy a bigger house. They didn't remodel their house. They, they just saved every penny they had until 65. They would barely barely squeaked by. So it was essentially at that point, 20 years of saving. So when they retired 65, they could barely squeak by at a very low quality of living, low quality of life. And then he started looking at other countries. He looked at, uh, I think he, he said like Portugal and Belize and these other places. And yeah, I've heard Portugal a lot. Yeah. Portugal seems cool, mm -hmm. but he ran the numbers and they could retire 10 years earlier. Instead of 65, they could do 55 and they could have a phenomenal quality of life until the day they died, right? And that's what they did. So they saved and then they moved to Belize and that's where they live now. And I think they've been there for many years. And, um, but he was essentially saying like, the way to think about it is you are, what you are selling to your employer or for us, to our clients, because we're self-employed, is our time. That's what you're selling is your time. You're trading your time for this. That's what you're doing. And you're not even getting a true value. Nobody will ever get the true value of their time. Nobody's ever going to pay you the true value of your time. But that is what you're selling. So when I'm selling my time to a customer, like for this project, I'm putting my value at 325. And that's not even coming close to what the value of my time is. And the value of time, it's on, it's on a, like a sliding scale, in my opinion. When I was young, and I didn't have a wife, I didn't have kids, I didn't have responsibilities, my value time was a lot less in my mind. My perceived value of my time was a lot less. Now, had I gotten sick at a young age and died at a young age, my, my time would have been much more valuable at that point, right? But in that moment, I valued my time lower. 
But as time has gone on, now that I have a wife and I have children and I have responsibilities and I don't want to miss being with my kids and seeing them grow up and be a part of their lives, I don't want to be working in my shop till 10 o'clock every night like I used to. My value or how I value my time is much different and much higher. Yeah, I think that's one of the phenomenons, though, that so many of us, including myself, you know, you just this way of looking at your time you know, how many footsteps do you have, you know, on this earth? And I guess part of that reason that so many of us didn't find a value because you don't know what the end game is, right? Like, I think legitimately, if someone said, hey, just just heads up, man, 55 is your number, 85 is your number. Hey, you're going to be here till 110. You know, the fact that since we don't know what that end game is, so many of us instead through this course, you know, you just don't look at it that way. But in reality is all of us only have so many breaths. You only have so many steps. Something's going to be the last time. And that's the way it is. So whether we're talking a project or whatever, that is the reality. What you're charging for that is, you know, your moments here on this earth. Yeah. That's period. what you're trading. That is what you're yeah, trading. That's what you're trading. You're trading yeah. your time. Yeah. Um, you know, you're in a unique position because your kids are coming to the end of high school and getting ready to go to college. Yeah. Yeah. And so this is it mm-hmm. for you. This is it for you. When they're gone, they're gone. So these moments, especially right now are super important. You know, you want on vacation for a couple of weeks and you don't make any apologies for taking two weeks off to spend no. time with your, with your children. But these are the moments. And when that's gone, then that opportunity has passed and you'll never get that back. And then you'll look back, well, what I sell it for? 20 bucks an hour for those that time. It's crazy. And you know, what's 20 bucks? 20 bucks. I go to Starbucks. I get two drinks. It's 20 bucks. This is what my, this is what an hour of my time is worth. These two drinks. This is what I'm trading an hour of my life to this person for this. This is the value of it right here. Two drinks from Starbucks. That's the value. Yeah. But nobody looks at it that way. Nobody looks at it that way. You know? No, no, we don't look at it that way. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's the hard thing. We've talked about, uh, I mean, plenty of podcasts about profit and balance between, you know, what your, your net is and your expenses. And I mean, so many ways of, of looking at that, but, uh, you know, if, if that's more to home or hits home for somebody to realize that, no, man, that's the reality. You are making something and there's a value to that thing. But the reality is, you know, you, you just sold whatever moments you had. That's what's in that project. Yeah. And what is, you know, what is that value to you? And only any of us can answer that question. And then somebody, whoever that person is, says legitimately, well, 20 bucks an hour. Hey, I mean, I don't know what to say to that. That's awesome. If that's the value for you, but no, that's not for me. It's not for me either. It's not for me either. And um, we've focused, us personally, Kodiak Pro, we focused on making products that make the most efficient use of our time doing what we do. You know, we've done this. Again, I'm in my 21st year of doing this. I've spent, I can't tell you how many thousands of hours unnecessarily in my shop because in my mind, I was saving money. In my mind, I was, oh, look, well, I can go down and I can get my Portland and I can buy a drum of polymer and I can buy, yeah. you know, and I'm just going to make my own and I'm going to save all yep, yep. this money. Thousands of hours. 
thousands oh, yeah, of hours. I had that conversation again. I think I told you just a minute ago with, I mean, a, a guy's got some great projects going and we got into the conversation. It was a good conversation. It was not combative whatsoever. So I don't want to make it sound that way, but we got in the conversation just in general about some of the admixtures he's currently using and what he's paying for them. And, the, you know, and I just said, okay. And then he asked. And so we got in this long conversation. He's like, well, I think this one's going to be more affordable. And I'm like, but is it? And he's like, well, what do you mean? So again, I, I always go back to me and my own life experience. And that is for me to get white cement, I have to travel. Basically, I lose a day of work to go get it. So again, if using your $300 an hour, if that's true, you know, that 2,400 bucks in my day legitimately should be added to the cost of my Portland cement, period. I mean, that's the way it is and vice versa, the sands and, and everything in between my storage, three pallets of materials, admix sand and, and Portland cement. And then Okay, if that is true, because I've heard this like, ah, you guys, it only takes me 45 minutes to bash the materials. Okay, well, and I'm not saying somebody's BSing with that, but what is that $45 an hour truly worth to you? Or excuse me, 45 minutes in dollars and cents actually worth to you? Because if it's 20 bucks, well, then I get it, man. I get it. Like you're into this thing, $15. Okay. Well, that doesn't seem like very much, but is it, <laughs> is 15 bucks your moments on this earth? Because I don't know, man, I, again, I, I can't put someone's value to them, but yeah. no, not mine. Yeah. No. And, and add all of that up. If you have something, you know, again, I don't get me wrong. We're back to something like Radmix. Hey, if you're using your own sands, you're making terrazzo finishes, you're doing these kind of things, that absolutely makes sense. There's, I have zero qualms, and I will support that all day long. In fact, I do that for projects where, you know, where a certain look, we need certain sands. You know, I'm just not going to use a fully blended mix. But if something's fully blended and it, it fits that profile, you know, everything I just discussed versus opening a bag – uh, yeah, no, it's just, no, it just, it does not equate period. And that conversation you had, I think was a good one. You told me about that conversation and it was yeah. somebody that is, they're wanting to compare dollars and cents with the product they're currently using and switching to Kodiak. And it was something that we did year, well, I say years ago, like a year and a half ago when we first started the podcast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We ran numbers. We got on the website. We downloaded the most current pricing versus our most current price. And it turned out we were actually less when it came yeah. down to square footage price. But that being said, it's been a year and a half since we've done it. So I think we should do another price comparison soon. No, no um, judgment on which product is better, or performs better, right. or creates a better product. Just dollars and cents. Here's the difference. And that's it. And so for some people, that is an important conversation for others after they try a product and they see the benefits of it and they realize the time savings of not having to slurry or all things they were doing before, they're like, oh, it's a no brainer. But for some people, until they get there, they just want to know what's the dollars and cents. And so yeah. I think we should do that exercise again. Maybe the next podcast, if we have time, we'll crunch the numbers and we can talk about it. Yeah, I got a problem with that. Okay. Yeah, I mean, a non-emotional look at it. Just say, hey, you know, boom, 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 boom. It is what it is. Here's the math. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Math That's doesn't lie, as, as they say. Oh. 
maybe I'll find myself switching. <laughs> <laughs> Although, no, I, I can't go back to polymers, though. I think I told you I got some uh, text from a guy, again, not knocking on any product, but this is what he's doing. And I was, I was blown away uh, that people, it, I mean, it just is. So, yeah. And we had a whole conversation about, I tried to help him out with some defoamers and push him in a direction and see what he can do. And no matter what he casted, the manufacturers thought maybe different um, mold releases or whatever the case may be. And, oh, my God. Yeah. It was just pretty crazy town. But Yeah. I got a phone call. A guy called me and had a problem with the sealer. And I talked to him for 20 minutes. And they told me it was Omega. <laughs> I was like, why did you call me then? You know, like, what have we been talking? I thought you used ICT and you had a problem and I'm happy to help you. 20 minutes I talked to this guy, giving him all kinds of good advice. And then he's like, yeah, it was Omega. <laughs> well, there you go. I died. I died laughing. Well, you know, again, we say it over and over. I mean, everybody's trying to do their best. I, you know, I think we, all of us more than realize that. And, um, you know, you're just trying to, I went around your practices and best practices and, and so forth and so on. Yeah. Yeah. So but yeah, that would be funny. It, yeah, it was funny. So we should talk about what we're going to talk about, which is how to rejuvenate or refinish surfaces. And I mean, that's poignant right there. Somebody had a problem with a, a topical sealer and, you know, that is something that happens quite a bit where people need to go in and strip whatever sealer is on there. We see this question on the concrete forums on Facebook pretty much daily. You know, yeah, yeah. It it is. Besides, how do I how do I cast a ten foot piece on an eight foot piece of melamine? Which is like the other question I've seen a thousand times. Then the other one is like, how do I refinish these countertops? I don't know what sealer's on it, or I do. It's a topical. How do I get it off? And so, this is a good conversation, especially for you because you have way more experience than I do. It's something that I have strayed away from. I'm just different. I I, I don't like liability, me personally, in a sense of, yeah. I don't want to go fix somebody else. I don't want to polish somebody else's turd. Like literally, I don't want to polish somebody else's turd. If somebody used some crap concrete and put some junk sealer on it and a homeowner calls me and wants me to come in and fix it, in a lot of ways, I'm assuming responsibility for this turd. And when it doesn't turn out, they're mad at me. That's happened to me once before. And it only took one time for it to happen to me where I said, I'm not doing this again, where I spent days it was outside water polishing a countertop to get all you know get everything off the surface and and uh slurry it and polish it and slurry and polishing it all smooth and sealed it and the guy's like hmm is this, is this good as it's gonna get yeah <laughs> yeah okay you know he's totally disappointed and i'm like bro i put days into that and it looked a thousand times better than when i walked in but in his mind he saw perfection and there's no way in some cases, there's no way to, to get to where they see in their minds what it should be because what they have. So anyways, my point yeah. is I've strayed away from it. I've strayed away from it, me personally, but it is a very common question and it is a scenario that a lot of artisans face and it is something that we should talk about. Well, I think as a, as a material itself, yeah, I don't know. I mean, this again, once this is one of those subjects that sometimes I jump in, it comes from every angle, but here's just a reality. Anybody who's in, been in this industry long enough, what we're discussing at the moment is always considered taboo. 
right? Just like you said, polishing someone else's turd and, and, you know, depending on who you're talking to, they may be, you know, uh, you know, I make such good products that'll, you know, I don't use things that need to be resealed or maybe a manufacturer. I, I don't sell things that need to be sealed. And, you know, what kind of junk is out there? But we're the only industry that does that, right? I mean, furniture, <laughs> it needs to be refinished. Yeah. Wood. I mean, whatever the case may be. So, I, I still truly consider this an us problem. It's not a materials issue. In fact, just the opposite. There's a few people out there. Um, Emma Theralt, I think her name is. And I really love her approach, meaning, again, like the rest of us, that this is a sustainable material. Um, the benefit is that they can be resealed. And, you know, manufacturers shouldn't get down on themselves because they have something that, that scratches, it's, you know, that's a topical plastic that's not going to last. And, and instead it just is what it is. Anybody been here long enough, things wear out period. So where am I going with this? I think if it was treated less as a taboo subject and we just all embraced the benefit of working with a material that can have a longevity that really has the ability to be, you know, rejuvenated and resealed. And, but then again, there's a minefield. I get it because in my mind, the things that I've dealt with is, I mean, for the most part, pretty durable surfaces, but I've certainly gone into places that, you know, that have not been, well, let's just say have been subpar, right? For one reason or another. But that doesn't change the fact that I was able to go in there, sand the surfaces down. Can I repair every crack? No. You know, I mean, I'm not going to make this thing. But I'll say the same thing. You're not going to buy an old, you know, 55 Buick and have it come off like it did the showroom floor when whoever bought it for the first time. Well, That's unless they parked it in the garage and never drove it. Right. And but, then, you know, yeah. so, Dude, I'm looking no, before so, you go down the path on this i'm sitting i'm looking i have a patagonia work jacket right and one of the mm -hmm. things i love about patagonia is they have a whole system in place for repairing they know that nothing's going to last forever they know that right. and so they have a whole program where you can send your worn goods you get ripped the zipper gets pulled off buttons break whatever and they'll fix it for a fee and send it back Right. Right. But nobody yeah. buys this jacket thinking that for the next 20 years, it's going to be exactly I'm going to wear it every day and, you know, out in the field doing work. And it's going to be exactly the same. No, we anticipate wear and tear and they have a program in right. place. But with our industry, it's like we put it in and we when the customer comes to us two, three, four, five, ten years down the road and we're like, hey, uh, my countertop's got some stains and scratches. We feel that that's unacceptable as a trade. Oh, it should be perfect right. forever. But yeah. is no, no, there's nothing that is perfect forever. No, no, you don't even get like materials. You know, it's, it's us that gets in battles. What what sealer did you use? Oh, that's not the good one. It's this one or whatever the case may be. But that goes hand in hand with some uh, material representatives, right? Who yeah. put certain names on it or, you know, continue to beat their chest as it's the best in the world or the greatest or whatever. Even while during the same time, people using the greatest of the greatest are having peeling issues and you know delaminations happen and this and that, um, but you don't see that in their TikTok videos. No, but so, people, everybody, they don't have to make a choice on whatever they feel comfortable using. 
whatever right, that is. Exactly. You know, for exactly. me, for a lot of years, those topicals, I used, I talked to us in the past, I used all of them, E32K, EAP, all of them. And I tried reactives. They didn't work for me back then, but there were a lot of advancements made with the mix to make the reactives work better. That was one of the secrets of getting reactive to, to work with our type of concrete. And uh, anyways, so at some point, now it's going on probably 13, 14 years, I made the switch exclusively to reactive and never looked back. I've been comfortable with that, but that's a decision I made. So you as the listener are going to have to make a decision for yourself of what you're comfortable with. And then once you make that choice, just stick with it. And then, and then well, just, and then embrace it. Exactly. Embrace it. Exactly. And so in this case, yeah. So I, I just wanted to discuss, you know, the, the benefits both to ceiling technologies and just concrete for what it is with the ability to restore, repair and rejuvenate. And what does that look like? Again, regardless of ceiling technology, except for maybe epoxies, you know, or some kind of polyaspartic film, um, those are a do-over. I'm, I'm not, I personally won't touch those, but anything with an acrylic, uh, urethanes, a you know, any of these kind of sealing technologies. Um, I really prefer the ones with the uh, reactive because they're much, much easier to repair, but that's just the way it is. So where do you start? Well, first and foremost, and this is probably why a lot of people other than their own personal pride, don't really embrace doing research because you, you really need to be set up for it. You really do. If you're going to be sanding in someone's home, you need to have the right equipment and that equipment needs to be uh, a rotary slash orbital sander. I prefer the fest tool, but there's also the Bosch version and maybe there's other ones at this point. I don't know. You need to have a combination of some good dry diamond sanding pads that, that fit those backer pads so that whatever vacuum you attach to it, which could be a shop vac or uh, like I have the the Festool vacuums, but there's also other ones out there, maybe with some higher CFM or something. But anyway, you got to be geared up for it. You know, if you're not geared up for it, and then yeah, then resealing can be a real pain in the butt. You know what I mean? Um, I get it. But if you're geared up for it and you have the right equipment, it's like everything else. You go in as a professional, you treat it as a professional job, and you get pre-paid you know, or you charge professional fees to get it done. And I have yet to have a client not go over the moon, you know, for what's done. So back to that thing, be geared up. That's, I would say that's the number one, get the right equipment, have the right tooling, be set up. Number two, you know, talk with the homeowner beforehand and, you know, make sure stuff's out of your way. And what does that mean to me? Well, or what am I trying to relay in that? Have the faucet removed. You know what I mean? Um, if it's a top mount sink, you can't do anything about that, but tape it all off. Under mount sink, again, tape it off. Um, I'm one of those that if there's a cooktop or something, you know, like those drop-in cooktops, have it removed. You know, get the get anything out of your way that makes your time more complicated, you know, get it removed. Uh, slide in stove, whatever, get it out of your way. That's super simple, which makes your whole sanding process. And which I have found time, regardless of what ceiling technology, I start with diamond pads. 
And so, I mean, at the moment, I think I've talked about this before. I used to use some of the you know cheap knockoff stuff from China that a few companies had arranged. But now Kodiak Pro has some very nice pads. Worked with a very good company to have some really nice diamond pads that that fit various Packer pads. So that's where I start with every time. And I'm going to say a pro tip on that. If it's a urethane technology, slow the sander down. Uh, I found very quickly that with your rotary, specifically the uh, Festool that I use, if you think putting on a higher setting would cut faster and instead, no, it actually, it melts and gums up the sealer. So I'm just going to put that up sponsored by Kodiak pro pro tip. If you have a urethane technology, go on a slow speed and it cho- it chews those urethanes up really quick and very nicely. What about acrylic? So, Same thing with an acrylic still go slow with the uh, more aggressive about mid speed. Again, if you go too, too fast, you know, anything too fast is going to cause heat, but the acrylics don't melt like the urethanes do just gotcha. to be aware of. So you may hit a sticky spot, if you got too hot and then either way, just back your sander down, um, and then keep going. But again, that's the diamond pads. So, and, and then after that, dry, sanding, obviously, cause you're that? using a vacuum. You're using these dry. You're not using any, oh, any yeah, moisture. Dry. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's a funny thing I've, I've tried wet, but again, a little spray bottle, like maybe you need a little bit of lubricant. Don't get too crazy cause you're going to splatter it all over the place. Right. But, um, yeah, keep a mister bottle if necessary. After that, I'm telling you, man, the, the sanding usually goes pretty quick if you have the right equipment and which makes seal resealing a breeze. Yeah. I, I, again, I prefer ICT because of the simplicity. It's not stinky. It's very easy to apply in someone's home. So, you know what I mean? I don't have to spend a whole lot of time masking everything off and keeping order odors out of the home. Um, so the resale process is really simple. And, uh, did I miss any steps? I don't know. I mean, my concern has always been going into somebody's home is the dust, even with a festival Mm. dust extractor. Is there a lot of dust in the air? Not that I've seen. No. Okay. Uh, The one time I did, and we did do this in a podcast, the one time I did, and this was just me not paying attention. It's literally because the, my my bag in the vacuum was pretty full and I just wasn't paying attention again. Right. I'm trying to rub two pennies to make a dime kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, okay, wait a minute. So I swapped out, I put in a new bag and pff, no, that was the end of it. But that being said, they do have those meaning companies isn't they, um, they have those portable dust extractors like on wheels. Yeah. Remember like when we were at Joe's or even at Dusty's, they mm-hmm. have it set up to take the dust. You know, I built one. Putting one of those in someone's home, you know, again, is, is not going to hurt anything, I guess I would say. But when you have the sander and the vacuum hooked up properly, I mean, it easily picks up probably 99% of the dust from what I've seen. Gotcha. From what I've experienced. Yeah. Yeah. There was only that one time and it was me not putting in a new bag. Uh, but I caught on that pretty quickly when I looked over, I'm like, mm, was her coffee table that dusty to begin with? 
I don't think so. And changed it out and boom, that was the end of that. I went over and specifically wiped the table down just to make sure. And yeah, no, no dust after that. Nice. Yeah. I built an ambient air scrubber for my shop. I saw it was on a TikTok. Some guy had made one using a squirrel cage, um, like attic fan or furnace fan. And, mm -hmm. um, he just bought it off Craigslist, the squirrel cage fan for like 20 bucks essentially just built a box and put four air filters around it and kicked it on. And it moved a ton of air. Those things are like 500 CFM or more. But the cool thing about those is they're designed for that like pressure differential for when you're sucking air through the, the pads. So they're designed for that. And, um, anyways, so I have built my own over the years with just a box fan where I put, you know, I built a box around it and I put a filter in it and it, worked okay, but it never seemed to really work that great. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I said, okay, I'm going to build another one of these. So I built a new one and I did two squirrel cage fans. And the problem was I couldn't find any locally on Facebook marketplace or um, Craigslist that weren't like totally beat to hell and that I didn't really feel comfortable from a fire standpoint of like wiring up and leaving it running. So I got on Amazon and I bought two new ones and they were smaller, but they're brand new. They're clean. They're not like, they don't have mold in them or anything. And uh, they're each like hundred and 20 bucks, I want to say 150 bucks, but about two of them. And that thing is, have you, no, you haven't been to my shop. Have you? No, dude, mm -hmm. this thing, well, I think I FaceTimed you one day when I had it running. It is incredible how good it works. I kick that on. I mean, the filters I'll replace them. And in a week or two, they're totally full again. Um, but I'll kick it on when I'm, you know, even using my fest tool with a dust extractor or anything I'm doing, mixing concrete, anything that's gonna put dust in the air. And it picks it up quick. It picks it up real quick. Yeah. So somebody could build something like that, designed to fit through just a, a standard residential door, put it on, mine's on casters, put it on casters. And you could take that to your resale jobs and just kick it on and let it run while you're doing it. Yeah, set it up someplace and yeah, just let it clean the air. Why, yeah. why not? But, <clears throat> you know, you talked about this before, but I'll keep it up. As an industry, and I know we're a small little industry, comparatively speaking, we're the only ones that treat this like a taboo subject. You know, there, there's plenty of people and companies as part of their, you know, fabrication business. They do repair, restoration and reseals, whether marble, stone, you know, it, it doesn't matter. It's. I'll just say it continues to too bad that it's not embraced as much as it really could be because, but again, maybe, maybe it's because we're back to where we started this conversation, people valuing their time. Now, don't get me wrong. If I went into somebody's home for 20 bucks an hour, mm, yeah, no. Yeah, I, I'm not seeing where not only is it not a viable business, but I'm, you know, it's, how would I say we, I know we've said this before, if the value of, you know, I don't know how to describe it, but if you came in that inexpensively, it would give the persona that what was in the home was super inexpensive as well. You know, does that make sense? Well, they wouldn't place so, a value on your service there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's where I'm going with it. Yeah. Yeah. So no, I mean, I, I, I actually do pretty well with it. I enjoy it. As crazy as that sounds, and I don't mean this because I go in snickering, but I have seen some, I mean, this has educated me beyond reason over the years. Even though I know the raw materials, I work with plenty of the big companies from Stahl Polymers and Dow and 
um, Evonik and I mean, I could keep the names going, um, to see the, you know, the true life use performance out of various materials is continues to be an amazing education. So, which is great. And then I like going in there and being able to tell somebody that they can be proud of their kitchen again. You yeah. know what I mean? Well, see, yeah, it's totally cool. You know, again, it comes down to everybody's going to need to do their math, their calculation for what is your time worth. I'm going to, every time I get an opportunity, I'm going to throw this recommendation. Profit First for Contractors by Sean Van Dyke. Get the book, get the audio book. I tell everybody about it. I just told Nick on this car ride down Arkansas, get this book, get the audio book. It will change the way you approach your pricing. And I assure you, once you go through the exercises and if you start using the principles outlined in the book, you'll be profitable on your projects moving forward where before you were sometimes, you weren't sometimes, you didn't really know, you know, well, we made money in the year, but I'm not sure where, where we lost money. You'll have a better understanding. But uh, the other part of that is, you know, my number is 325. And I should really re reevaluate that number because that was my number, I don't even know how many years ago now. It was in Tempe that we did it. So probably eight, nine, ten years ago is when we ran those numbers. So I'm sure they're different now. I should, I should definitely probably be charging differently now than I am. But that being said, every person should do that. And if your number is 250 an hour, okay, great. So if you're going to do a rejuvenation on somebody's countertops, you know, their countertops need love, and you say, yeah, you know, my minimum is four hours, that's $1,000, and I have consumables, which I'm going to bill at, you know, $250 for the consumables. So let's call it 1250 If they have somebody come in and remove and replace those existing countertops, What's that? Seven thousand, ten thousand dollars, and they right. can pay somebody at twelve fifty to come in and bring them back to to life again and give them another, you know, five to ten years of use before they need to do it again. That's a great value. That's a great value for them, and it's a good value for you because your time is being compensated for what you need to be compensated for. But you need to figure out what that is. Everybody's different. Every everybody's right. number is a different number. So, you know, I see. I, I mentioned this in the past, but there's a Facebook concrete group. And they should just change the name to what should I charge concrete group? Because every question huh. is, Hey guys, I got this project. What would you charge? And then, you know, 300 people chime in. I would be 14,000. I would be 50. I would be $1,000. There it's just, it runs a gamut from like crazy low tune for $1. <laughs> but the point is all those answers are wrong because that isn't, this guy's business. This isn't his location. Right. This isn't his life circumstances. It's not his shop. It's not his employees. It's not his tools. It's none of that. And so all those answers are wrong. And I feel like saying none of these are the right answer, but it's, it's that kind of, let me run my business by committee mindset. Let me just ask everybody's opinion. And that's how I'm going to run my business. If you run your business that way, you're guaranteed to go out of business. If you don't have a handle on your business, you're going to go out of business. Plain and simple. And, and there's, there's levels of businesses, and I've said this before when I always use my electrician analogy, right? But um, there's there's so much work to go around. It's like, you know, we talked in the last one. There's, there's no lack of demand. So a person needs to sit down and figure out what scale, both financially for yourself and otherwise, do you want to fit your demand? And if the $20 an hour demand is what you need. Okay. I mean, no one's going to knock it. Just realize that the person doing $200 an hour is just as much in demand. 
Yeah, if not more so. Mm-hmm. And working yeah, with the clients he just, probably would want to work with. My experience right. in this last, you know, 21 years now of doing this is the clients that I cut a break with, the clients that have a sad story and they bring their violin with them and they're playing it nice and slow and soft while they're talking to me and telling me how they're on a fixed income. And I, I've always loved concrete. And when I was a little girl, I dreamt someday I'd have a concrete erosion sink in my bathroom. <laughs> And they, they have to find. I'm like, oh my gosh, you remind me of my grandma. Okay, yes, yes, yes. I'll do it for half price. That that, that switch flips, and they're the worst client. Where's my sink? What is this? What is this spot on the sink? What is I brush spot? my teeth, and Why I see a spot this? that looks a little bit discolored, and I want to know. Ah! You're like, oh my god. What did I do? What did I do? I cut this person a deal. I listened to their sad story, and it turned on me. No good deed goes unpunished. Tattoo it on your soul. No good deed goes unpunished. Don't do it. Where am I going with this, John? You didn't, you didn't come in a deal. You just sold, they, you just sold your life for that <laughs> time's moment at half price. That's all. My yeah. point is. In hopes that what you get out of it makes you feel good. And hopefully gain some time at the end, but that's nothing any of us can guarantee, right? That's right. So my point, John, is charge your prices, stick to your prices. When a little old lady shows up your door with her violin and her sad story and her bowl of chicken soup, and she tells you about how she's always dreamt of this, the price is a price, lady. Take it or leave it. I don't care. Because it's that client, and it's happened to me a handful of times over the years, and it's always the same thing. They always have a sad story. It's that client that ends up being one that runs you through the ringer. And it's the ones that I give my, my price and I do not deviate and I do not make apologies. And this is my number that those are the best clients. They're the ones that don't hassle me that when I install it, they love it. They, you know, for years later, they tell me how great it is. Those are the ones that were the easiest. I guess my point is if you're at the low price point or you, you lower your price, a lot of times somehow that attracts the clients you don't want. I don't know why it is. It's the law of attraction. Yeah. It's just, it's what happens. Hey, so are, you, are we moving on or are we still is, sticking Is there anything to move on to? I am, yeah. When are we going to get to go on on our, uh, speaking of time and our time, when, when are we going to start the... Um, the health thing? Yeah. I don't know. Somebody texted me yesterday that wanted to do it. Or maybe the day before. I don't know. Um, soon. Soon, soon, soon. I'll just say that soon. I got three projects that have been like a thousand pound weight hanging over my head that I just, what for whatever reason, these projects, every day I come in, I'm like, I want to get some work done on these today. And then like the universe conspires to like, keep me from doing that. Whatever that means. You know, I, I didn't, I guess I didn't talk about it. Well, maybe I did. I have a tenant. No, you didn't talk about it. Talk and there's about a sewer the, line. Your, we're just going to say, your, yeah, your neighbors are taking super turds. And- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'm not going to go into all that. I'm not going to go all that, but I have a new tenant next door and um, the toilet wasn't working. And this happened. I let some other people use the space for two weeks, a charity. I donated the space to them and they clogged the sewer line so bad. I had to get a guy come out to clear it. And then they moved out and this guy moved in. He's like, Hey, there's something wrong with the toilet. It's not, it's not flushing. And I'm like, Oh God. So I get the guy to come back again. He like clears line again. He's like, ah, there's some resistance. You might want to get a camera inspection done. So the guy comes out. There's a huge, he thought it was concrete, but there was a huge rock stuck in the line, right? And it's, it was close to the toilet in his suite. That's where, that's where they found it. Three feet from the flange is where it was. 
Okay. Is there anything? Can can this can this take like a, a snake or something and ram it? And they're like, no, not really. The only option is to cut the floor and cut that piece of section out and replace it. Okay. 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 So what do I do? I rent a jackhammer. I spend a day dicking with jackhammer in that floor. I mean, first of all, I started by drilling holes all the way through the floor. It's like eight inches of concrete because back in the 70s, they went overkill. So it's like eight inches of concrete. I drilled holes about every half inch thinking like, well, this will help. I can just take a sledgehammer and just whack away at this and break this out in chunks. After I drilled, and that took a couple hours to draw these holes, and I take a sledgehammer and I beat on it, I beat on it. It didn't, it didn't even do anything, nothing. I took a rock pry bar and beat on it, nothing. So then I go to Home Depot, I rent like a 100-pound jackhammer, bring it back. I thought it was going to be pretty quick. You know, I've used a breaker hammer on my skid steer. It's awesome. And you can bust out a whole drive. I thought it was going to be something like that. Wrong. Dude, you're not John Wrong. Wick, bro. You're not well, John Rick. Yeah, and I don't, I don't have a 11,000-pound skid steer with a, you know, massive breaker <laughs> hammer either. So... So I get over there, like, is this as fast as it goes? Like, it wasn't doing anything. It didn't do anything. It took hours of jackhammering this thing, just jackhammering. And uh, and the the new tenant's sitting there. He put his desk, like, in the back uh, of this. They do car wraps. He's watching you. He's just watching me. He's sitting five feet away, watching me. Have, like, a shot back running, trying to, like, contain the dust because it's making a ton of dust and... Anyways, hours goes by. Any way to make that quieter? It's like Shawshank Redemption, like when I'm chiseling through the floor and I'm carrying buckets. Literally, I'm carrying buckets of broken concrete outside, and I feel like Shawshank Redemption. Like, I, I crawled through like a mile of shit. So, I get through the floor. Then I got to dig down. Luckily, they bedded it in sand, so I made it easier. So, I dig all the sand away, and it, there was like a Y there that I wasn't expecting. But anyways, I cut out the pipe. Cut it out. And dude, this is every now and then... You get lucky. And this time I got lucky. I cut right here and then four inches over I cut. And when I pulled it out, that was exactly the spot where that rock was. It was like dead center of where I cut. And that was just a guess. I pull it out and there was a rock and it was turned sideways and jammed in there. I'd take a hammer and beat it out. But, uh, you know, replace that section of pipe, backfilled it with the sand again, packed the sand, mixed up concrete, poured concrete. A whole day goes by. And, you know, with, with the... Camera inspection, the two augers, the materials, my time. I had a guy come down and help me for a few hours. All together, it cost me about 2000 bucks for this rock. This rock cost me 2000 bucks. But anyways, I turn to the guy, and I'm like, hey, bro. <clears throat> oh, by the way, I yeah, go down, yeah. I, I get I get all he the stuff. over the moon. Dude, I get all the stuff to reset the toilet, new line, you know, new wax seal, new bolts, blah, blah, blah. I reset the toilet, silicone, bada bing, bada boom. Woo! All right, bro. Toilet's fixed. He just goes cool <laughs> i said i said buy a building they said it'll be fun they said it'll be a great investment they said two days of my life cool and two thousand bucks down the drain because of a rock and who knows that rock maybe somebody flushed that rock i don't know or maybe the rock's been there for 50 years that fell in when they built the building who knows but anyways this yeah. damn rock cost me two g's in two days of my life so, anyways, time, time. What's my time worth? Apparently, a yeah, covered rock. Didn't you rock. say your building was used for a meth lab to begin with? Maybe it they was flushed it down. Smoking, right? smoking on crack rocks and flushing, right? Flushing rocks. Flushing rocks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. So, anyways, um, yeah. Workshop. So I want to get going. Sorry, we got way off track. I want to get on the health end. Did I? I started doing the cold plunge. Have you done any of that? 
Nah, doesn't sound you know, fun I to really me. I really like it. I started with the, I mean, I, I go in between the shower and the uh, plunge, mm. but yeah. I get it. But I like it. I get, I get, for me, it's the whole mental aspect of doing something you don't want to do. But I do enough mm. of things I don't want to do, you know? I do enough of it. I go down the shop. I rip melamine. I take out the trash. I, I it, there's a thousand things I got to do you every clean day. Clean rocks out of the sewer. Yeah, line. there's yeah. things you, you got to do every day you don't want to do. So to add to that, like by standing in an ice cold shower, eh, it just doesn't sound like my cup of tea right now. No, maybe no, some other point. Yeah. Well, the shower you can. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know. I, I don't mind the shower at all. I actually, I prefer the. Sh- how would I say it? I prefer the shower to the plunge, quite frankly, because I'm one of those people that. I don't know, man. So just, you know, sitting in a tub. Yes, it's cold. But I mean, like sitting there, that's that's like the longest four minutes of my life. Like, oh, seriously, when is this timer going off? But when you're in the shower, no, you know, I, I'm you see my hair. So, yeah, heck yeah. Dude, that's <laughs> my time. That's me time. <laughs> that's right. Damn, that is me time. Baby. Shrinkage. It's Shrinkage. <laughs> It was cold water. You ever see that I don't Seinfeld? The water being this cold. You ever see that Seinfeld? Yeah. No. Where no. she walks in on George when he's changing out of his swimsuit after he's been in the pool, and he's like, "It's oh, shrinkage." Yeah, yeah, it's shrinkage. Yeah, yeah. Oh man. But no. I, so yeah, I started doing that, and I mean, I've been working out back to that pretty steady. So yeah, man, I, I'm excited. Let's let's get this going. But uh, but I'll tell you the difference. And I know this is probably going longer. You can cut it all out or whatever. Remember when we first started this and I was, I, I truly believe when you start incorporating all these things again, how that overflows into everything else, because it's your own well-being, you know, um, that you're taking care of. And I'm going to say it's true. I feel better, you know, when I talk to people or when I just yesterday, you know, take on another vanity project or whatever, just my whole being, you just, I, I feel more relaxed. I feel better, uh, focused. Uh, so yeah, man, it's, it's really cool to incorporate all this into what you're doing because it, it pays dividends, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah, I know how I got on this because I was saying that the universe has conspired to keep me from getting this client work done. And it was right, right. last week, it was this damn sewer line. But anyways, my point, John, is I'm almost there. I've got two of the three molds done, done, done. And I'm working on a third mold today, probably coming this weekend, work on it some. And then uh, Aiden, my old employee from Arkansas, is going to cruise up and help me cast and build the crates. And, um, and then I'll be done with it. And so then at that point... I can dedicate my time back to these things we've been working on. Another thing is I, I've been saying to myself, I need to take a break from client work for a little bit to focus on Kodiak, to focus on that stuff. You know, we have a lot of customers we want to go to and work with, you know, start doing some more traveling. And I need to do that stuff. I want to do that stuff. Uh, I just don't have the time with the client work. So I, I've been saying to myself, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a break from client work for a minute. I'm going to focus on Kodiak. I'm going to focus on traveling. And so I was in Springfield when I went to that client project. Next door was another client that, I, uh, that I've done work for. And I stopped by his house. And he's like, hey, um, I built a lake house, which, by the way, I was supposed to build that out of rammed earth. But then COVID hit and his wife vetoed the whole rammed earth lake house he wanted to build. That's a different story. But he's like, hey, I built the lake house. He did an A-frame. And uh, he's like, I need a erosion sink and I need some chairs and tables. Can you do it? I need it by April. I'm like, eh, 
okay. <laughs> Just punch myself right in the dick again. You know, it's like I said I'm not going to do this, and here I did. I did it again. You know, yeah. so uh, I could see the light at the end of the tunnel. That just I just extended it, but yeah, whatever. Anyways, but I digress. We have the February 10th and 11th Concrete Design School Fundamentals Workshop coming up, and you know it's a great class if you are new to concrete and you're wanting to get it started on the right foot and you don't want to make the ultimate mistake and attend a training class that's going to waste your time and your money and send you in the wrong direction, then you young man or young woman should please visit ConcreteDesignSchool.com. Visit on the Fundamentals Workshop, or I can't even talk. Click on the Fundamentals Workshop and uh, read about it and see what we cover. It's a day and a half class. It is a Saturday and Sunday class, John, a day and a half. And the genius of this is you don't have to miss any work to attend this class. You can fly in Friday afternoon after you get off work, hop a plane, come to Wichita, come to the class Saturday, Sunday half day, catch your flight out Sunday afternoon, be back to work on Monday. Nobody knew you left in and out and now you're heading the right direction for your concrete career so if you're interested again concretedesignschool.com fundamentals workshop february 10th and 11th day and a half super affordable class and one thing i want to say about that last thing i want to say about that is i talked to somebody the other day and he had he had heard some he heard somebody say like you can't learn the you can't learn the basics in less than five days or something i said baloney Baloney. The people saying that are hobbyists at best. Do not listen to what a hobbyist has to say. If you want to learn how to run a business the wrong way, then learn from people that run the business the wrong way. We can do it in a day and a half. We've done it in a day and a half. We can do it. Just because they can't doesn't mean we can't. We can and we do. So, Concrete Design School. Cool, man. Yeah, it is cool. It is cool, John. I say I was trying to be like that guy. Cool. Cool. Thanks. He didn't, he didn't say thanks. How do you just said thanks that I spent two days on my hands and knees literally digging in cool. Had he said thanks, that would have meant the world to me, but he just goes, cool. All right. On that note, John Schuler. until next week. All right. Good talking to you. All right, buddy. Adios, amigo. Adios. <laughs>